Welcome, everybody. This is the Script to Screen podcast with your host, Ken Carey, where three decades of proven experience has launched products, built brands, and generated profits. These are the stories behind the businesses that have been built. Welcome, everybody, to our Thought Leader Thursday webinar series here at Script to Screen. My name is Ken Carey. I'm a direct-to-consumer expert, work with big companies, small companies, entrepreneurs, all the way to the biggest brands in the world. And we've generated over $7 billion in sales for our clients. And I'm really excited today to have our guest. His name is Luke Slota. And Luke has most recently joined Havas Edge as the Senior Vice President of Influence Marketing, Influencer Marketing. And he and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to have him as a guest because I think it brings so much value to what we're doing in direct-to-consumer today. And without further ado, Luke, I'm not going to get into all of uh, the questions right away. I want to learn a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about Luke and tell me about, you know, your background and, and how you worked up, you know, through Veritone and through you know, Performance Bridge and now into Havas Edge. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what specifically you do at Havas Edge. Yeah, no, I mean, first and foremost, Ken, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited for, you know, this chat today, but I'm super excited to be here at Havas Edge as well. Um it's uh, it's been a journey to say the least. When someone asks me how did you how did you start in this, um, I kind of laugh because it, this was not an intended path for me whatsoever. Um, you know, I was in kind of a sales role, uh, working through a third party for Emerson Electric, selling heating and air conditioning parts. Um, how I stumbled into uh, working at Performance Bridge is kind of a funny story, but ultimately. Um, you know, we're going back to like 20, 2014, uh, serial season one, the podcast had absolutely exploded and the owner of performance bridge media through, through kind of network connections was like, I've got this guy, he's a relationship guy. Um, it sounds like that's where the business is going. Um, you should have a chat with him and, uh, you know, newborn baby at home. And, uh, my wife and I were like, what? what are we doing? Um, I kind of took a chance into the space that was at that point, completely uncharted territory. Um, and it started out as being a podcast, uh, buyer, if you will, uh, at performance bridge media, but honestly it, it quickly became just being a networking, uh, politician, if you will. And I had to make as many contacts as quickly as possible, but podcast market explodes and very right. quickly inventory was tight. Cause so many, a lot mostly direct to consumer brands, but there were some bigger, I mean, I think Ford Motors was in there early on, but podcasting inventory was so tight that really quickly we were like, where can we expand to? Um, and we had dabbled a little bit um, in, in influencer YouTube, but it wasn't at any huge scale, but YouTube at that point wasn't really, uh, you know, a space for advertisers to go. Um, and I think we were one of the first to really, really get into that marketplace. We send a host a product and we ask them to share their personal experience. And if a brand wasn't going to give the product or the service to the host, I remember telling them early on, like, hey, this isn't this isn't for you guys. Like, we need to let them try it. We need to get their true endorsement. They need to love the product to talk about it. 
And when the influencer, the host creator has that influence over their audience, um, it's kind of something magical. Um, And that's how I know I'm a dork that's meant to be in this space. But like, it really gets me excited. You know, I I was able to be uh, a pretty heavy part of that at Performance Bridge. And then in, um, I guess it was August 2018, Performance Bridge was acquired by Baritone. Okay, Um, okay. And, and that's where, you know, the next step to my journey be, began almost, it was performance bridge, but then on steroids, um, you know, it was, it was twice the size, the market was twice the size, you know, all of a sudden brands were coming to us saying, Hey, I just want to do influencer a handful of months ago. Uh, the folks from Havas edge approached me and said, Hey, listen, you know, we're, we're a powerhouse over here in the television world. Um, but coming through the pandemic, the cord cutting audience, how do we reach these people? And after a handful of conversations, once I saw the energy over here and the excitement and the client roster, I was like, you know, this is a, a, a real career opportunity for me and, you know, I guess yeah. my family. But so excited to join the team here and hit the ground running and, um, you know, get into some of these, you know, larger brands that have yet to discover this space or don't understand it. I mean, you and I talked the other week, like there's 2 million definitions for what is influencer marketing. I want Luke's definition of what influencer marketing is. What I define it as when a client says, I want to get into the influencer marketing space is I tell them what we want to do is place integrations in content with influencers that are excited about their product. Um, 99% of what I do tends to be a direct response vehicle. So there's typically a call to action, promo code URL that actually gives value to the audience of the creator. When they're excited about a product and they get to bring value to their loyal following, that's where this is now like an ecosystem where everybody is winning. Um, we're, we're paying the influencer to talk about the brand, but, but the influencer truly believes in the brand. The last thing a creator or an influencer wants to be seen as is a sellout to their audience. So at the end of the day, they are only going to the real good ones, the ones that have a 5, 10, 15 year career in this or ones that want to have a 5, 10, 15 year career. They're only going to talk about a product that they truly say, yes, I will use this. Yes, I am using this. And yes, I believe in this. Um, Right. So. Our real preferred execution for a brand when starting in the direct response world is we got to get your product in the hands of these influencers. We got to get them to try it, experience it, and then be able to talk about it in their own words. Like we're not sending a script to these folks. Let them talk to their audience and be authentic to who they are because they know their audience better than you and I will ever know their audience. So forcing them to do something, A, gets us a lot of like absolutely nots. Um... But then it's 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 just too forced and we're never going to get the, you know, the return on the back end that we want and that we want for our, our clients and our brands. And I think that's the important thing about influential marketing. It's a the right marriage is a team, not a buy. Right. Exactly. I, you know, I see it because in, in media, the big dog can come in and throw the money and the the network is going to take the biggest bidder and they're going to bludgeon to death the the end consumer where here it's like it's not about that it's about the right connection 
and that every if everybody makes money that's good but I want to give value to my audience and therefore it as an influencer it I have a little bit more leverage to move forward because I because I because I'm giving um, value to my audience yeah I mean the super in tune influencers when they absolutely love a brand like we've seen this where they're reaching out to us or or reaching out directly to the brand you know to the customer service team saying hey my offer is ten dollars off but I saw so-and-so's is 20. Why is that? Like, I want my audience to get the best. And, and those are the ones that just, you know, far and away, they, they are top performers over and over and over again because they care about their craft. There's so much that goes into this that, yeah. like you said, it's, it's not just a standard media buy anymore. Years ago, I was quoted in something saying something to the effect of stronger relationships on the network vendor side lead to better opportunities on the client side or brand side. And I read this and I was like, did I say that? Like, I didn't remember saying it, but through and through, I agree with that. You know, yeah. I don't know how many times I've said to someone, I can get you a half price CPM, but you're going to get a half price ad read. You know, like one hand washes the other and we have to be on the same page, getting yeah. the best value for all parties. And and those are the relationships that I've watched last five, six, seven years in this space where the same influencer is still performing for a brand years and years later because no one ever tried to knock someone down to the point where everybody wasn't getting value from the partnership. You do a lot in YouTube. Talk about the importance of the content in line with the context or of the platform. A lot of it is us just being... Um, I guess, sympathetic to or understanding of, hey, you're going to work this ad read into your content without disrupting it so that your audience isn't upset. The value for, for you or I in that is that our ad doesn't get skipped. You know, the, the actual audience then watches our full ad or listens to the full ad because it's entertaining right. and they really genuinely want to hear the influencer creator's recommendations. So, so that's a lot of it. So for example, a lot of science influencers, like if they're in the middle of a science experiment and it's super interesting or it's super visual or whatever is exciting about it and they break for an ad read, no one wants that product. And, and they've learned that over the years. And so have I, because I get to see the data on the back end. So that's saying, Hey, I'm going to let you put this as a pre-roll or a post-roll or, you know, wherever. Cause at the end of the day, the value proposition in there is this science content is super expensive to make. This is free for you, the audience, to watch. Thus, please support my sponsors. Let them know that I'm sending you to this new product. And, and that's where we end up getting folks to actually use the promo code in the URL is, you know, they really believe in what they're doing. But there's when, when we're planning for a brand, there's two different types of contextual fits. And, okay. and I love talking about this. So there is the, the example I always use is a running shoe. You know, if a brand that were a running shoe came to us and said, hey, Ken and Luke, we want you to run a campaign for us. You know, the low hanging fruit that everyone thinks of is the fitness, marathon training, those shows that really contextually the content makes sense. The other contextual fit that people don't know until they're really intimate in the space is, is that comedian or is that mom or is that science influencer training for a 5K? So it's it's super authentic that a running shoe company would advertise with so-and-so because they're training for a 5K right now. Um, 
And that's where I think the world kind of opens up to people because someone looking at it from a mile away or a thousand miles up or whatever it is, they don't see that part of what we do. But the, the, the topical things that happen in this space, whether it's someone training for a 5K, someone buying a house, someone having a baby, someone going on vacation, someone looking for a new book to read. I mean, like the, the possibilities are endless. Right. Whereas in some more traditional media uh, spaces, it's kind of a compartmentalized. We're like, this is what fits there. And that's what makes right. sense. It's black and white. And a lot of times it's just black and white. A lot of times a brand will come to us and say, hey, this is my audience. And two months into an influencer campaign, we'll be like, yeah, that might be your audience. But this over here is your audience. And it's the, the discovery, the eye-opening discovery of... A, a new tactic to to approach the audience or a totally new demographic fit where we didn't know it until we hear it be talked about in the eyes of an influencer. How long does it take to discover that potential audience that maybe the brand isn't thinking about, but you know from your experience and expertise that, you know, maybe there's an audience over here that you're not thinking. How long does it take to discover that type of relationship? That's a tough one to nail down. I, I mean, understand. typically in in two to four months, we have an idea of what's going on. But over the past however many years, I don't know how many brands have dabbled in the space, didn't see the results they wanted week two, and were like, this isn't for us. But four months later, when that lag activity trickles in, I see them back in the space, which yeah. says to me that worked. How do you how do you get them over that, Luke? I mean, it's a I totally hear what you're saying. It's it's consistency, it's consistency, it's being in front of the person and don't but you know, in our business and, and you're in the thick of it now, it's it's ROI. I mean, I wanna know what I put in and how fast I'm getting. How do you how do you bridge that? How do you just walk your client through that? Yeah, that's super tough because I'm asking them to trust me. Like I'm like, yeah. just hang on. You know, this is the initial budget. The other thing is, is host availability and their schedules and recording schedules like those play a lot into. So having a client like very quickly get nervous and want to pull back the reins, you know, it's it's like Novocaine. We just got to let it set in and, and it's going to work. Trust me. Um, and, and if anything else, after those eight weeks directionally, we have some real learnings like that eight weeks is where I like to start the folks is, okay. you know, we're going to have your media drop anywhere from two to eight weeks from now. And it's going to be a wide variety of, of different contextual fits, different categories, genres, and, and we're going to let them all talk about it in their own voice. And then from there, we get to really, really sit down and see what worked, right. but the only thing that really, really will tell the story to you and I is, is lag activity. And YouTube's algorithm, which no one really understands, when is that going to pick up a show? You know, so we'll have channels at times post in YouTube that several weeks later will pick up momentum and view count. And, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to, to me sitting here at my desk, but all of a sudden we see these purchases coming, you know, whereas in Instagram, um, because of tracking and this is, I'm going down a whole different rabbit hole. Yeah. Typically for Instagram, we're focusing on stories because of yep. attribution. The swipe up feature allows us to actually track the purchase, the session, follow them through the funnel, um, helps the client with retargeting. 
those stories are only typically lasting 24 hours. So the window of, you know, Instagram activity is far different than YouTube. And, and I think that's why we see clients seem to double down on YouTube more so than Instagram. Um, Instagram, in my opinion, is a great like addition to a campaign. You know, right. it's nice it's to great. round it out. So a client says to us, I want to talk about influencer marketing to your campaign. First thing they say is, well, how does it fit into what we're doing? And what's the cost and what can I expect out of it? How do you answer that question? The first thing I think I like to share or talk about is the measurement piece. You know, this is direct attribution. You know, we are able to track this at the source that, you know, the promo code, the URL, whatever it is, is, is right there front and center. The other thing that's nice about uh, YouTube or, or Instagram um, is that we know we have the undivided attention of the audience. Luke, say that again. I want everybody to hear exactly what you just said. They, we, it, is, it is an audience that what? We have their undivided attention and they are fully stimulated by what's right in front of them. You know, and that's not to downplay these other particular types of, you know, I mean, people, people listen to a podcast while they're jogging or vacuuming. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different. And we know they come back, but they don't come back as quickly. So is it that we get the initial session? You know, I'm not ready to buy right now, but I'm still going to go check out the website because I watched Ken's YouTube channel and Ken suggested it. Well, Mm -hmm. now at the, on the client side, they're able to retarget instantly. Like they already have that, you know, pixel in hand and I am going to follow what you're doing and see how many times you come back to the website before you purchase. Um, And that now can help us full 360. Everybody's got to be on the same team. Everybody's got to be on the same page. So I love to work with someone's search agency or we love to get to help them do that in house to see, okay, how many times did this person come back? So, so to your question, I love to start out with the attribution piece because I think that really opens someone's eyes to what we're talking about. Um, From there, it's, you know, do you have seasonality to your products? What is the price point? What is, is it an impulse buy? Is it not? Like, I think it's a a real conversation day one so that everyone's on the same page and And we all have the same expectations. CPMs are incredibly dynamic in this space. Um, And define that, CPMs? CPMs, yeah. The the actual cost of these is so all over the place that I try to have that conversation up front with, you're going to see some wild things from me. Um, Do not get scared. Trust me. Um, And and we're always going to show folks, show brands, all of the different prior ad reads that these folks have done. I mean, like when we're kicking off a campaign, we're not going after influencers that have never done an ad read. You know, we're starting them with the the experienced folks that we know the audience is responsive to what they say. Where 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 should our clients get their their heads wrapped around on what potentially the cost and the the quote unquote test period to to be thinking about, does this make sense or not? Yeah, I mean, I, rule of thumb to get true learnings for an overall campaign. You know, I, I say they typically range from the $2,000 price point to the $10,000 price point. Rule of thumb. So that gives us a good testing span as far as overall size and reach of each influencer. But also from a, a back end standpoint, when we're trying to make these folks be efficient, you know, 
testing some of the smaller bets to, to really reduce our risk across the channel tends to be just kind of a smart move for us. You know, the, the common question I think I get asked at this point is, well, what's the return on ad spend I'm going to get? Yeah. Um, and that's right. where I say to them, it's super, super tough. You know, we see folks at 50 cents return on ad spend because of the, the value of the product. But is it a subscription service? Is it razor blades where we know right. folks have to come that back to buy more? That changes the dynamic 100%. Yeah. Or is it a one and done product where you buy one and then you're not, maybe not getting the same product again for the next nine years? Um, so, so the return on ad spend, you know, can, can fluctuate heavily. Um, I say to folks with the exception of a very, very cluttered space. Um, and when I say that, I'm really thinking about like beauty and makeup, like that's a tough space because there's so many different competing brands. So getting a super high return on ad spend with that, plus, plus the price point average order value is kind of tough with that. But, you know, I like to see the return on ad spend between a dollar and two to start off a campaign. And then as we make it more efficient, you know, we can get up to those higher two, three, four dollar return on ad spends or or we're totally content with we're making our money back at, you know, one point two five return on ad spend. But right. we're getting your name out there um, or it's the subscription based model where over time we know we make their money back big time, even though the new customers costing us, you know. 50 cents on the dollar or whatever, right. we can we can storyboard and say, this is still worth it for you because of what this long story looks like. Good influencer marketing and 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 I'm just gonna say in good influencer marketing is creating a message that integrates and doesn't or it integrates it's in addition to not something that's intrusive, right? Yep. Because if it's intrusive the BS meter goes up, but if you can integrate it and make it in addition to, that really is the magic sauce, right? Yep. Yeah, giving it, making it part of the content or making yes. it fluid instantly gives it credibility. But, but, when but it's how like, they would say it, but how would they say it? It's like, this is what the brand needs to say, this is what we're trying to communicate. And Luke, you know your audience, Communicate this the way you would do it that, so they would get it. All these influencers, like they do get the business aspect of this that, you know, does a disclaimer have to be said for legal reasons? Do I have to say terms and conditions? Like we have a ton of flexibility there, um, right. you know, and and sometimes influencers will even say like, hey, I know this may not be for my entire audience, but for those of you that this applies to like that, even though that was a disclaimer, that brings an additional credibility. One of the things we talked about uh, that I got really excited about when I saw the um, the YouTube influencer campaign for Bose headphones. Tell me about um, how does something like that work? I'm talking about the Bose headphones ones with the, with the influencer that you and I'm not sure the, the involvement there, Luke. So you can you can help me there, but how that person gets involved and and how it fits in and and you know why that was such a successful campaign. What I think makes that one so interesting is that he actually states out loud, they told they didn't send me talking points. They didn't actually tell me what to say. They sent me the product. They want me to experience about it. And they said, talk about what you love. And and that's kind of the gold standard in influencer is less is more. Um, mm-hmm. 
That particular ad read, what's also interesting about, and this is, I think, one of Bose's kind of value propositions, regardless of where you buy it, is there wasn't a deal. The neat part about that is, is that they were tracking just actual sessions, traffic that they were driving to the website, but they had to then consider the multiplier of how many people bought on Amazon, how many people bought at Best Buy, how many people bought wherever Bose is sold. And now that comes this hybrid blend of, are we measuring this like YouTube influencer? Or is this a play like television where we know this dropped on a certain day? We know it got 40 million views in this window of time. I think the first video he dropped is in the 90 million range now. How do we measure this? And what is the multiplier that we then give to this channel knowing that people might be going direct to their Amazon on their phone while they're watching their desktop or, and and this is where the space gets blurry, but this is where the space gets exciting because we know that we're undercounting the performance on, I don't want to say all of these integrations, but on a lot of them. And when you're measuring ROI and lift in that particular campaign, all I can tell you is that they went on to work with that particular influencer for five plus more campaigns with five plus more products. And and when we see those patterns in the space, both may not be sharing data with anyone, but we know that they're <laughs> smart enough to say this is working. Not only did they ask him to give him give them his feedback, they allowed him to create the content. Talk about that's a is that a next level of involvement or is that a prerequisite from somebody like that because they are known to put their in his in his case science-based information out a certain way yeah i think it's a blend of both i mean if i go and contract with a manager or an agent or an influencer direct and i say hey we want to buy a 60 second ad read nine times out of ten we get a 60 second ad read so when we approach them with hey, this is a partnership and hey, I want you to do what makes sense for you and for your channel and and what's going to excite your audience. Right. All of a sudden you get a four minute long ad read that's sandwiched into content that is entertaining and enjoyable. Um, In the case of a buy like that, you kind of know up front that somebody's going to go above and beyond. And especially when they're already a diehard fan of the brand. Every once in a while, once we start buying at scale for a brand, we'll have a manager come to us and say, hey, I heard you're working with so-and-so. Ken loves them. Can we get Ken an ad read? And and when that opportunity tees itself up, I jump all over it because we know we're going to get a Grand Slam ad read at that point. Give me an example. So you said said an ad read. Now talk about what's the kind of package that you would like you'd like to talk to a brand about because for example you know the the Bose things turns into five and six different products but what's the package you're looking for part of the problem that we have or, or problem such a negative word the hurdle that we face is what is the listening behavior of this particular audience so do they tune in every wednesday because ken and luke have their comedy show every wednesday or do they end up kind of binge watching where they don't watch Ken and Luke for three weeks, but then they sit down and watch three 10 minute long episodes back to back to back. We tend to not see the best success as far as just, just direct response driven data ROI 
we don't see the best success with heavy, heavy frequency. So we tend to space out each individual episode every four to six weeks, but to bring value to a client, we will book a bunch of those all at once. You know, we'll buy six months, six months worth of ad reads or a year worth of ad reads all at once. Once we've done the initial test, we know that they really enjoy the product. So we buy six YouTube videos and six stories and we let them have fun with it. You know, we've also done some neat product placement things where we do like kind of a brand ambassador program with someone. We're able to actually do like these bigger deals with influencers where it's like, we're going to be one of your flagship sponsors this year. And the value we bring you is, is perhaps financially, but also we're giving you food for free for a year or whatever it is, coffee for free for a year. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. But in turn, this is all the value the brand gets. And it's really storyboarded out. I mean, a lot of the automakers have been dabbling in the space now. And a lot of that is how often do I get to see my steering wheel logo? How often are you in your driveway and the vehicles in the background? How often, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. Where do you bifurcate the difference between starting with a micro influencer and then getting into a bigger influencer? How, when is that decision made? Is it price of the product? One of the things that we're looking at up front is what is the blend of the audience? Before we, you know, make a, an agreement for an execution, um, an ad read on any given channel, we're looking at their backend demographic and geographic information. So what percentage U.S. is their audience if we're only worried about the U.S. or, or is it North America? You know, we, we're looking at that heavily. We also look at the age bucket. So when we go after a micro influencer, you know, an influencer that maybe has, you know, 2000 views per video or, or whatever it is, these folks that we're mm -hmm. only paying in the hundreds of dollars for, we have to look at their back end information to make sure it aligns with who we're really going after. The nice part about the micro influencers is you tend to be able to uh, have more input. Um, they don't know what their audience is or isn't enjoying. So micro influencer campaigns are great when a brand is trying to find like additional SEO. I mean, like mm -hmm. YouTube is the second largest search engine only to Google. So as far as product reviews, unboxings, like a micro influencer campaign is a great way to get your product out there and, and get into Google search terms. You never are going to hear me talk about subscribers. I'm focused on views and reach. So you can have 2 million subscribers, but if you're only averaging 100,000 views per video, your yeah. 2 million subscribers don't do us yeah, a heck that's of a lot my, of good. Don't, don't talk to me value at 2 million subscribers when only 100,000 people are engaged. Exactly. Give me an example of a couple of influencer campaigns that for our audience, if they wanted to kind of get an idea of what this looks like and how it might work for them, well, give me an example of a few that you could say, take a look at these and, and see how they, they, how they were executed. Yeah, I mean, the, the meal kit category as a whole is one that I think is super interesting because... I've seen different brands try it different ways. Um, so I can probably name like five or six different meal kits, subscription models that are all in the okay. space from Blue Apron to HelloFresh to Plated to Daily Harvest to Sunbasket. Um, 
And some of them were requiring a full-blown cooking segment where even if it's only a minute long, you cook a meal, you cut it down, you actually show yourself using the product to bring authenticity. Other brands just showed the product. Right. In my personal opinion, the folks that have stayed in the space for a long period of time, those are the ones that are requiring the food to be cooked. They understand I might be paying a little bit more for this ad read because for 30 minutes they have to cook and then edit it down. Like that's a ton of extra work for the influencer versus just yeah. giving a shout out. But the value that that then brings as far as return on the back end, night and day different. Honey is one of the larger brands in the space that they take a lot of the big swings, as I call them, um, the really, really explosive uh, particular shows. And I think uh, Seat Geek for a while was another one. And what those folks seem to be doing is, is they're going after the really, and I haven't bought it, bought any of for, for either of those brands, just to be clear, but what they right. tend to do is they facilitate in giving the influencers a hook. And what I mean by that is that those particular videos are targeted to the point where they want to be picked up by YouTube's algorithm to be explosive as far as views are concerned and, and overall reach. So you'll see where they give an influencer a car or give an influencer money to give away as part of the ad read. So then what ends up happening is, is that shows up as a video that's trending. I mean, nothing's more exciting than giving your second grade teacher a Tesla, right? Right. Um, so those videos end up getting very big exposure in the YouTube world and the algorithm, um, thus giving them explosive views. Now that may not be to that particular influencers like core loyal following right. those explosive views. But at the end of the day, if your mission is to get our brand out to as many people as possible, this is a way to do it. How do you talk about when is an influencer marketing ca campaign um, appropriate in We've, that cycle of direct-to-consumer marketing? I think this is a great place to start for any brand. I mean, like, this is a place where, like, it, it's, it's black and white. It's tangible. We know what the wins look like. I also think directionally, because you get to find out what your audience is, uh, it helps you with other channels. Like there are insights from this channel that you can take and, and utilize elsewhere. Um, I don't know if you get that in all other places. So yeah. I think this is a great place to add into your marketing mix like very early on in the game. Um, I would add this traditionally before I would add digital. What I love about what we do is the fact that we can work with an influencer and, and build that more robust partnership where we can actually get them to create assets or give us usage rights to their content to help the digital campaign, um, which I think nine times out of 10 is gonna be better than having a company have a particular asset that, that they think the audience is gonna respond to as opposed to an influencer driven, this is what I know my audience likes, you know, from their point of view. So I think those two channels that you, could, you called out digital, I think those two channels work very well together um, and I think can play off of each other at great success. But my response to this would be incredibly early in the campaign. Okay. Um, even if it is at a smaller budget, just to get those those wins and those learnings early. But I think this is something that you bring you bring out super early on. Give me your 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 five takeaways that when you're thinking about influencer marketing, these are the things that you should expect 
and in order to realize that you're really working with the right people. The, the vetting process of the influencer that you just talked about, we're going to dig in on what's their content look like, what's their audience look like, where is their audience, and we're going to find the perfect fit for each individual brand. And like, it's very transparent. Like, there's no surprises here. You know exactly the audience we're going after. But one of the first questions I ask a brand is, what's your definition of brand safety? Um, and that goes hand in hand with each individual influencer where are they, are they politically tied in? Are they not? Do they talk about it? Do they not? Um, do they use profanity? You know, what is your comfort level as a brand so that we know when we're, when we're selecting these shows, they're a good fit for you. And I think that's a, that's a conversation because the word brand safety kind of sort of means nothing without context behind. You know, I, I then go through best practices. You know, we have to let them accept the product or receive the product. We have okay. to let them experience the service. Um, and and from there, it's setting out budget and flighting and, and availability. Like, I don't want to spend $100,000 of a brand's money just to spend $100,000. So if this one influencer that already is a customer of so-and-so, and we know that because of the back-end data, um, let's let them go week 12, even though I said it's only a 10 week campaign. Like we can't, you know, round, round peg square hole. Like this needs to make sense for, for all of us. So I think that's the initial kind of setup. Let's say we sh share a client together and this person really loves this product and, and they're all gung ho. We figured out, we did the research. It's the right brand safety and they're all, everything's kosher. If they go out and produce something, who pays for that? Is that part of the relationship you have with them to go do their own thing? Or, do, or am I the brand stuck paying that bill? No, that, that's all on the creator. I mean, like that okay. is what the payment is for, is you know, okay. they go through that process. So for example, that Bose integration that we talked about, like all of the recording and editing and everything that went into that, that was just part of the fee. Like yeah. I'm paying you to do what you feel most comfortable doing. So what that ends up looking like and feeling like that's on them. So, you know, we've had folks, you know, working with meal kit, we've had folks that have made an entirely dedicated episode where they cook three meals. And then we see the ad and we're like, Oh my God, like this isn't what I expected, but this is great. This um, is great. Good surprise. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the, that is 100% on them. There's no Good. prepayment or fees or hidden this or hidden that or production cost or studio. Great. The only time I've ever had that happen is we've done kind of collabs where we actually bring multiple different influencers. We'll do an ad read about something, perhaps about like a book series or, or a movie series or something. And then we bring them all to the same place. And at that point, we would hire a production team. The reason we do that is so that the brand then owns the video assets. If we pay the production costs, we own the assets. Thus, the brand can then slice them and splice them and use them, and, and, and it's theirs to do whatever with. So if that influencer produces something, they own that content. They've just been, they've just been basically contracted to do something. Correct. So they can grant you usage rights, and a lot of times the usage rights will have some sort of parameters behind them. Where can yep. it live? How long can it live there? How frequently can you run the ad? I mean, that's a, an influencer's typical like fear with usage discussions is, are you going to exhaust my audience? Am I going to start to ignore, uh, annoy them? Are they going to hate me for this? So all those conversations have to happen up front when we're doing a, a usage deal. 
Luke, this has been fascinating. I can go on for hours and we will go on for hours at another time. But let me, for people who want to, are, are interested in influencer marketing to add to their campaign, how would somebody get a hold of you? What are your handles? How would they reach out? I mean, via email is probably the easiest. Uh, okay. Luke.Slota, S-L-O-T-A, at HavasEdge.com. Um, you know, early on in the conversation, I always loop in someone from the biz dev team, not because yep. I want to pressure someone into doing something, but it's it's nice to have a third party there that gets to see the big picture. Listen, is awesome talking to you. Thank and, you. And uh, I look forward to having this conversation in a, in a different level, a little, little deeper in the next time. But um, until next time, great having you on the show and I appreciate it very, very much. Thank Thanks. you, Ken. I appreciate it.